If you're alive and Jesus came back today, those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the dead in Christ who are brought out of the grave as their spirits come back from heaven, reunited in their bodies. We'll meet them together in the air. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This mortal must put on immortality. This perishable must put on the imperishable in order to walk on streets of gold. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Battle of Armageddon. In today's sermon, Pastor Carl reminds us that we should never doubt the perfection of God's justice, the power of God's word, and the seriousness of God's judgment. Let's join Pastor Carl in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, as he continues. Now today we see these dark, devilish, demonic forces that are very much at work in and around us if you have eyes to see it. We're standing in the shadows of what God is describing here, and he refers to this time frame, notice, as the great day of God Almighty. This will no longer be the great day of man. This will no longer be the great day of the Antichrist. This will no longer be the great day of even Satan. This will be the great day of God Almighty. And Paul spoke of the forces, the the, the delusion, the demonic power that will be operating during this time. We read in 2 Thessalonians 2, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. Here's Jesus coming from heaven with his great army, and they think they can beat him. And so this deluding influence will come upon the nations of the world who prior to the rapture heard the gospel with clarity and with power. So if you're banking on a conversion experience after the rapture, having sat in a church like this, you've deceived yourself. And then you'll be deceived and that God will permit the evil one to send a deluding influence that you might see what is false. And throughout this seven-year period, there are various expressions of that deluding influence and one that we're studying here in the revelation for this final assault against Israel. And so verse 16, Revelation 16 and verse 16, notice what we are told. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Megiddon. Geographically, Har-Megiddon is Mount Megiddo here on the plain of Megiddo or the valley of Estrilion or Estrion, depending on how you want to pronounce it in Greek. It's called the Jezreel Valley. Understand there's no valley called the Valley of Armageddon. That's Christianese, and that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. But the geographical place the Bible describes is the Jezreel Valley, and it's called Armageddon. Here's a picture of Armageddon. Some of you have been with me. We've only been there a couple times, but I learned after the second time, by the time we got to the top, those people were so exhausted, they had nothing left for the rest of the day. So uh, in either case, uh, this is what is sometimes called Telmageddo. A tell is a uh, man-made mountain. In this case, there was a hill, but it got higher. How did it get higher? Well, what they do is they, they make a cut in the mountain, and they can read all the different levels of civilization. Some 24 civilizations have lived on this hill. And so a, a nation would take the hill critically in terms of trade routes and everything where it sits. And some other nation would say, we want that piece of property. And they'd crush them. 
and all their buildings would go down and they'd build up again and they'd get crushed and they'd get crushed and they'd get crushed and it gets higher and higher and higher. But what it looks over is the Jezreel Valley. And so this is the hill of Armageddon. That tells you the location, the area in which this is going to take place. Now the Valley of Jezreel, here's another picture. This is from um, the top of Mount Carmel. And so while we don't go to Armageddon, we will go to the top of Mount Carmel. By the way, if you're interested, the trip is over 50% full right now as of yesterday. And so if you're interested, I always want to give our people first choice. But um, this overlooks this valley that's 14 miles wide and 20 miles long. Napoleon said it was the greatest battlefield in the world. And of course, some critical biblical battles took place on this site. In the book of Judges, Barak, under the leadership of Deborah's word of prophecy, fought against Sisera near, the scripture says, the waters of Megiddo. And so this is a very, very important place. And it's in this region. The battle doesn't actually take place on this ground. This is simply the staging place. This is where all of the armies of the world begin. This is what we might call headquarters for this coming battle. And they're up and down a 200-mile range, up and down Israel, going all the way into Jerusalem itself. And so there's going to be a fight like the world has never, ever seen. But there'll be one victor, and his name will be Jesus. Now, in addition to the fact that Satan gathers his forces in this place called Megiddo, I want you to see how Satan fights God's Messiah. That's the second point there, how Satan fights God's Messiah. We're told now, as we read the rest of verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So notice there's the beast, whom we know to be the Antichrist. He is the commander-chief of the kings of the earth and their armies. And at this point, since the Lord Jesus is now visible, they want to make war against him. And so their mission is to destroy the saints of God. They are there to destroy the Israel of God, and they want to smush out the name of God. And again, war is a logical expression for people who don't think straight, who are deluded. And these armies of the world are indeed deluded. They are doing something that is absolutely insane. Let me read to you Revelation 16 and verse 11. You might want to put it in the margin next to this verse. What are they going to do when they actually see Jesus? The Bible says, and they blasphemed, the God of heaven, this verse is in reference to Armageddon, they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, God is giving them a taste, just a smidgen of eternal judgment to get them to repent. Do they repent? Well, many people do repent, but at this point, there's no repentance. What do they do? They blaspheme God. Now, I suppose that if the Supreme Court of the United States could make a judgment on hell, they would call it cruel and unusual punishment, and they would outlaw it if they could. But hell is real, and what are men doing in hell? They are not asking God for mercy. There is no mercy. They are blaspheming the living God. And here they are, all of these armies of the world, instead of turning to the living God and asking for mercy. 
They blaspheme him to his name. Do they know that this is the wrath of Jesus? By the time the seal judgments unfold, Revelation 6 tells us that they recognize that this is the wrath of the Lamb. And notice verse 15 says, out from his mouth came a sharp sword. And we let scripture interpret scripture last time. If you missed the message, go back and listen to it. Because the sword is his word. He's just going to speak. And it's going to happen. Take the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is the word of God. And this is really, I suppose, a one-sided fight. Though they're attempting to fight against Israel and there's a lot of slaughter, Jesus is going to speak. And the horses and the commanders and the slaves and the free are going to drop dead, all in preparation for this coming supper. God's going to allow this to happen. God is never the author of sin, but God can use sin in a sinless way. And that's what he's going to do here. He's going to accomplish his sovereign purposes. This is a picture of Psalm 2. You know, Psalm 2 speaks of the kings of the earth. And if you read the Psalm carefully, you hear the voice of God the Father. You hear the voice of God the Son. You hear the voice of God the Spirit. And the bottom line is you should tremble and respond to this Son. But listen to what Psalm 2, 2 predicts. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against, together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And listen to how God responds to these armies of the world pictured at the height of their rebellion here at Armageddon. And listen to what God says. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak with the sword of his mouth. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, in one sense, the campaign of Armageddon is the laughter of God against the supreme arrogance of man. Now, one final point I don't want you to miss. Satan's forces are doomed at Armageddon. They're drawn to Armageddon. Third and finally, Satan's forces are destroyed by Armageddon. They're destroyed by Armageddon. And notice first, Satan's malicious pair are judged. Notice first how this malicious pair are judged. We're told of this Duel these two people in verse 20. Follow along. And the beast, that's the Antichrist, was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast. We've studied that, the 666, right? Who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. So Christ rides in the sky with this mighty angel behind him. And by his word, he starts with the beast and the false prophet. And they, the text says, are cast into the lake of fire. He just speaks. And by the way, this is exactly what Paul says, put out in the margin next to this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, next to verse 20. Let me read that verse. Then the lawless one... Speaking of the Antichrist, one of his many titles, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay how? With the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. 
Jot down this verse in the margin, Isaiah 11 and verse 4. The prophet Isaiah speaking of the same time frame when Messiah comes back to rule and reign. And there he informs us, with the breath of his lips, that is to say with his words, he, God, shall slay the wicked. So Paul, Isaiah, John all concur that simply through the power of his word, this battle will be over. So here, going back to the previous slide, this beast, this false prophet, with their great evil, gather all these multitudes together, and God is getting ready to prepare the world for the second coming of his son and his rule and reign on his holy mountain, Mount Zion. By the way, this is what we might call a reverse rapture. If you're alive and Jesus came back today, those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the dead in Christ who are brought out of the grave as their spirits come back from heaven, reunited in their bodies. We'll meet them together in the air. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This mortal must put on immortality. This perishable must put on the imperishable in order to walk on streets of gold. Well, this is a reverse rapture. They're thrown alive, the text says, in the lake of fire. And Jesus, of course, spoke in John 5 of two kinds of resurrection, a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the unrighteous. And just like my body is not suited to walk on streets of gold in the presence of God, neither will be the body of an unsaved man be suited to live in hell. You know, there are false teachers today, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventists, and a multitude of others that teach annihilationism, that if you die as a lost person, based on their definition of loss, which they're lost themselves, that you'll just be eaten up and destroyed in the fires of hell, that that's the end of it. No, the same word that's used again for eternal God, eternal life, eternal death, Ionion is used of this eternal wrath, they shall pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And so in a moment's time alive, their bodies are going to be changed, these two men. Why these two men? Well, because they led the way in deceiving the multitudes. When are the rest of the dead going to be raised? We will see that they will be raised at the end of the thousand years. At the final judgment, they will be given a body that will be prepared for the lake of fire. And that is still yet in the future. So today, if a man dies, where does he go? He goes to Hades. Is it a place of torment? Yes. Is that the final resting place? No. Revelation 20 says, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Gehenna, hell, that's the final resting place. But God makes an example of these two. In fact, as we'll see in some coming weeks, he is going to allow Satan to be bound for a thousand years, you'd say, why wasn't he thrown in? Because he was the third member of the Holy Trinity. We're coming to that. All right, B, not only will Satan's malicious pair be judged, Satan's misled people will be killed. These misled, deceived peoples of the world will be killed. Look now, if you will, at verse 21. And the rest were killed, how? With the sword which came from his mouth. Of him who sat on the horse, that's Jesus. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the lost of this world who have died throughout all of human history, up to this point, they're in Hades. And by the way, as I did a funeral on Wednesday, maybe it was, uh, no, it was uh, Thursday. I wish I had a church full of Mamie Edies. What a choice saint of the Lord. A lot of you don't even know her name. Because she's one of these ladies that just worked in the background, whether it's Kids Life or Juana or 
in the nursery or Sunday school and always working alongside of her husband, Fred, who went home six months ago and maybe just recently. And I reminded the people who were at that funeral, I said, look, if you die and you go to hell because you haven't received Jesus, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. God didn't even make hell for man. Jesus said God created hell for the devil and his angels. And if you go to hell, you're trespassing because you're going to a place that God doesn't want you to go, but you'll be there by choice because of your rejection as Jesus is Lord. And so these armies, President Armageddon, their defeat will be in a moment's time. And the scripture says, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Hundreds of millions of people potentially in a moment will drop dead by the word of his command. Now, the church has been studying the revelation and these events for some 2,000 years. And this is written, as all scripture is, for our instruction, for our edification, that we might be equipped for every good deed. You say, we're not even going to be here. What's the point? There are timeless lessons for the church. One, because we know what the future holds. We're not blindsided by what's happening in the world today. If you've read the Bible, we know the end plan. And people during this time frame will be pouring over the scriptures, reading these sections of scripture. But what's the application for us today? Let me suggest three as we close our time off. Number one, I am reminded never to doubt the perfection of God's justice. Don't ever doubt the perfection of God's justice. We just read the beast was seized with him, the false prophet who performed these miracles and the two were thrown alive into the lake in fire that burns with brimstone. Why these two? Why isolate these two? Because they're going to go there sooner. Why? It's a more severe judgment. Now, if you've been with me when I've preached in the doctrine of eternal retribution, you know, hell in general terms is a horrible place for anybody who goes. But hell is not the same for everyone. Heaven is a magnificent place for anyone who goes, but heaven's not the same for everyone. There's degrees of reward in heaven. And there's degrees somehow in the perfect expression of the justice of a holy God, degrees of retribution. And so the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're the first to be put in there. The rest won't end up there until some thousand years later. There's degrees of judgment. The university professor who delights in condemning the Bible, mocking the Bible, convincing the students in his class that it's filled with error. And I get students all the time who write me. Pastor Carl, my professor said this, how would you respond? Da, 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 da. Look, those men, those women, they're going to receive greater condemnation. The greedy person who flaunts his wealth and causes others to be covetous, he'll receive greater condemnation. The immoral man who flaunts his immorality by inviting others to participate. You know, Paul says, even though they know the ordinance of God that it's worthy of death, what do they do? They're they're evangelists for sin. And so someone's immoral, they feel shame and guilt, and they're immoral again, immoral again, before after a while, they become evangelists. They want others to join in their sin. There'll be greater condemnation. The politician who will legislate evil, greater condemnation. It broke my heart this week. The Supreme Court of the United States, one of our three branches of government, had already said 
that marriage, you can call it what you want, it's not a marriage, but they said marriage can be of the same sex and it should be legal. Well, our government, our president, terrified somehow that the Supreme Court could change their mind like they did Roe v. Wade, they want to confirm and, and, and put into a dogma, into a law that same-sex marriage is equal. And the Congress of the United States including the person who represents us here in Beaufort County, voted in favor of same-sex marriage. And then the president, now we have all three branches of government affirming what God calls evil. And then in the people's house, the president of the United States brought in all these perverts. That's what they are, these drag queens lauding this wonderful decision. There's greater judgment that is coming for people who laud these kinds of things. So don't ever doubt that God is the perfect judge. Secondly, I'm reminded never to doubt the power of God's word. Never doubt the power of God's word. I mean, one word, Jesus says, over. And they're all dead, millions of people. Remember, just as Christ is a divine human person called the Word of God, the living Word, even the Bible is a divine human book. And so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you meet someone and says, well, I don't believe in God, he's a liar. He knows there's a God. God's eternal attributes, his divine nature, his power is seen clearly through the things he has made. When someone says, I don't believe the Bible and they've heard it read, they're lying. They're lying. Now, I wrote a book in a chapter for in an apologetic series for Answers in Genesis. Among other chapters I wrote, it's called How to Prove the Bible is True. And we give that to people when they come to meet the pastor. And among the proofs that I give, I think the most powerful proof is the fact that when you hear the Bible, it's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pricks the heart. A man knows it's the Word of God. And sometimes when I'm dealing with someone who is kicking against the gospel, I say, well, can I at least explain to you if for no other reason but your own intellectual curiosity what the Bible teaches as to how a man gets into heaven? When they hear the word of God, it is alive, it's sharper, it's piercing the heart, and they know it is true. The power of God's word, Jesus on a ship, and the waves are up and down and rocking, he just speaks a word, and the sea is like glass. In Capernaum, there's a paralyzed man, and they want to get him to Jesus, and it's so big, the crowd, they dig a hole in the roof, and Jesus just says, get up! And he's immediately made well. The grave of his dear friend Lazarus had been in there for four days. His body had begun to rot. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And he's immediately alive. That little girl surrounded by family and friends, they're heartbroken, they're weeping, they're crying. And he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she immediately comes back to life. And Gadara, there is a legion of demons filling two men and Jesus speaks a word and they're gone into a few thousand pigs and drowned. The might of God's word, one word and the nations and the armies of this world become nothing more than bird food. And you hold in your hands this morning the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God 
And don't be afraid to learn it. You should memorize it. You should hide it in your heart and share it with compassion and grace to those who are headed for eternal destruction. Third and finally, I'm reminded never to doubt the seriousness of God's judgment. Listen, the same inspired word of God that wonderfully describes the grace of God describes the judgment of God and the tendency of unbelieving, phony, fake pastors is to emphasize God's love, God's grace, and they ignore the righteous judgment of God. And what are they doing? They're preaching in the words of the Apostle Paul, another Jesus. These passages on the judgment and the wrath of God are just as inspired as the passages dealing with God's mercy and God's grace. And in power and in great glory, Jesus will come back at Armageddon and he will set up his kingdom. And while the world may seem like it's falling apart, one of these days, 777 is coming back and he's gonna take care of 666 and he's gonna rule forever and ever and ever. Now, are you going to be there? I hope so. I hope so. I hope you'll be riding with him, and you can be. How can you be identified with Jesus on that day? One, you have to see your sin today. That's why we preach against sin. Look, if drunkenness and fornication and adultery and self-righteousness and lesbianism and transgenderism is not a sin, you don't need a Savior. But if it's wrong, you need a Savior. So you have to see your sin. You have to see that Jesus died for your sin. In your place, bearing all of its wrath, and in your heart, you must embrace him as your Lord. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning for your word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help us to heed what you have written here. You've written this for the church upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I pray today that we would be good stewards of the word of God that with speech seasoned with salt, gracious words might fall from our lips, telling men and women and boys and girls how they can be forgiven, how they can find new life in Jesus. I pray today, Father, for someone listening here in Granville and Grace, live streaming somewhere in the world, and they're not sure that heaven is their home, help them to see that if they will call upon the one who bore their wrath, and showed his ability when he was raised from the dead that you will instantly and eternally save them. Would you ask Jesus today to be your savior? Why don't you make my prayer yours? Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot possibly be my own savior. But I thank you at this time of year as we remember you left heaven and you came to earth, that you bore my judgment on a cross and you were raised from the dead declaring that you are sinless and Lord. I trust you today to save me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Help me to spend the rest of my life living for you, Lord Jesus, out of gratitude for this great salvation. Now, Father, we pray for the next Lord's Day that even this week we might be sensitive to opportunities that you give us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 022.
You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling, or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.